today we're here with Marco. Marco is from the LA chapter of RC Inner Circle. And like I was saying, I really appreciate you coming down here. Yeah, same here. Uh, so the first question that I have for you is, uh, I was, I was watching some of the videos on your YouTube channel to get some inspiration to see what I could ask you. And I saw that you mentioned that you became an entrepreneur, not necessarily because you wanted to, it's just something that happened. You started designing websites at 16, and then at 18, you got into the finance game. Have you always felt like you were, you were always inspired to do something without having to be guided by other people? I think I felt like I needed to take action because I came from a frugal family and I didn't grow up with a, a family that just gave me whatever I wanted. I think that they were a good family, a normal family, but uh, you know, if I wanted to do things that were, say, uh, above average, I'd have to do it on my own as well. I'd have to put in a lot of work. For example, the reason why I started creating websites for other people was because I wanted to get horse riding lessons. So I reached out to a guy who had a ranch and I wanted to learn how to play horse polo. And uh, he taught me how to ride horses and uh, gave me a place where I could take a mallet and swing a, at a ball on a horse. And uh, when I was in boarding school, I had pass me down clothes. Uh, even from my grandparents. I was the guy who was wearing suits from my grandparents, you know, and, and it wasn't the most stylish. So in order to get uh, a unique jacket, uh, I volunteered at a suit store and designed a website for them. Same thing with the nice shirt or what have you. So when I realized that there was opportunities out there for me to get involved with high finance or other things that could give me access to things I didn't get on my own. I took advantage of those opportunities because I realized that if I wanted to do it, I'd have to take an out-of-the-box approach to action. And because that worked, I think that inspired an entrepreneurial spirit in me. If it failed, I might not have done that. <laughs> okay. Uh uh, another thing related to that, uh, I saw in one of the videos you, you mentioned that growing up, you grew up around people that boosted your self-esteem. You didn't have low self-esteem. Uh, my question to you is, did you ever, how, how, how did you react to people when, when they tried to bring you down, if you had any people? Oh, no, I, I got, especially like in middle school and boarding school, I got a lot of bullying. Um, and I did run to bullies when I was in elementary school. I think a lot of people was. That's why I could appreciate uh, movies that have uh, shown negative ramifications of that, like a great TV show on Netflix, uh, 13 Reasons Why. Um, that's ex extremities of things. But, um, you know, I think that I always had self-confidence myself because I knew that I had uh, above-average skill sets in my academics in school. Um, I was able to accomplish and push myself uh, because I was uh, doing these long distance running when I was a kid and outlasting everyone and doing it faster and pushing the limits with my physical limitations as well as my mental limitations. Uh, and just seeing how far I could push myself and surprising myself personally allowed me to have you know, that strong confidence in myself. It was also very useful to have a family that supported me. See, I always had this above average sense of entitlement because my grandmother and 
pretty much every authority in my family would tell me you're the oldest son, you're the future leader of our family. They would tell me that again and again, as if being the oldest son out of uh, two brothers, you know, me and my younger brother, meant that I was somehow meant for greatness. <laughs> but uh, I did believe it very firmly. And uh, I guess having a, a family that supports you also helped a lot. Now, um, I didn't really have, growing up, the uh, massive amounts of close friends or people that I would um, hang out with all the time. I hung out with neighbors. I was like a normal person. Uh, nowadays, though, I, I have definitely an above average size network of people I can hang out with, uh, with bonds, uh, genuine connections, and also bonds that are less uh, powerful, more superficial surface connections. I found out I was able to turn a lot of those superficial connections into powerful connections. And those powerful connections I do have, I've made even more powerful. I think that was important. Treat them like family. So I think that mindset of treating those people, giving everyone a shot to be a, a good person and uh, to be someone that I view with value in my life has been a, a focus of mine. Even just random strangers treating them that way. Yeah. Growing up, you say you didn't have a large social circle, and, but you did have a family that supported you. Well, most guys get into game for the sole purpose of having sex with a lot of girls. They don't really care about improving any other area of their life. And most of them have the epiphany later on that there's more to game than just having sex and having all these girls. There's more to their self-improvement as a person. Is that a journey that you you underwent when before starting RSD? When I got first into RSD, it was because I would get super crushes on one particular girl. We call that one-itis, where you're so focused on a girl that doesn't want to be in a relationship with you and you want to have a relationship with her, that it's a disease, a mental handicap. I was that guy. And so I wanted to get into pickup to get a skill set, not because I wanted to hook up with lots of girls, because I believed that in order to get that one particular girl, you got to get good with girls, many girls, skill sets, understand social dynamics and skills, uh, general attraction skills. And also that would allow me to also be better with that one particular girl. I think I, I was not in a sense of low self-esteem, but I think that I was in the sense that I'd understand attraction so much so that even girls that I really wanted to be with like me, I wouldn't want to tell them that I like them because I was in fear of rejection of a peer group who would tease me for being with the girl. Like, ha, 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 you're with a girl, ha, ha, like as a kid. That stuck with me from a kid to close to uh, my late teens and even stuck with me uh, to the beginning of adulthood, that fear of rejection and being told on, you know? Um, so dispelling that fear has been the, the biggest thing. Losing that fear allows you to accomplish anything. Talking about one-itis, uh, when uh, many dating coaches, they don't necessarily encourage marriage, uh, but they don't, they're not against marriage. How did you view marriage as a dating coach? Well, I always thought, ever since I was very young, that if you get married to somebody, first and foremost, you should have the same values. 
course, you have to have physical and mental attraction as well. So those three things, if I didn't have them, I didn't want to be with a girl in any kind of long-term relationship. And once you're in that long-term relationship that has those three qualities, we have that mutual attraction for mental and physical, and you have the same values, I felt like that's something I could live with for the rest of my life. You know, that's something that I could have my family with, keep that loyalty, if that loyalty is mutual. Hmm. So when you got married in 2012, how did people take it seeing that you're the, the owner of a, the, one of the largest dating Or even how my wife took it. My wife Googled me and she then never thought um, for the first months of us dating that it was going to be a serious relationship. She thought it was just going to be fun and games and uh, she would, she would uh, be like that. But she said she changed her mind on our third date because I took her on a date to meet my parents at the Playboy Mansion at a party I was hosting. And uh, I told her that she was the first girl to meet my parents. And that, you know, on a date, you know, and uh, I think that uh, changed her opinion about me. I actually saw a video last night about when you, when you talked about showing her your family at the Playboy Mansion, but I wasn't too sure if it was your Family, family, or your RSD family? No, no, no. it was my, my, yeah. my, I invited my parents and my brother to come to the Playboy Mansion for a black tie party, raising money for charity. So there's Playmates, but they're all fully clothed. <laughs> it, was, it was a really nice time. You know, we just took food, just mansion tours. I don't know how long they're going to continue throwing parties now at the Playboy Mansion, but I think they'll continue doing it. Yeah, rest in peace. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was a big deal. Uh, especially since I worked for him when I was in college. I worked for the college marketing office for Playboy. And my goal was to find photo shoots and venues for the girls of the Big Ten. And I went from Wisconsin to Chicago and other places finding photo shoots and helping to organize parties to promote Playboy. Uh, and uh, I also got to participate in interviews for Girls Be Models. Oh, wow. And I remember my favorite question was to this Asian girl. And she got the job. I asked her, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> and she said, a unicorn. And I said, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just thought that was weird. I think I was a weirdo. And so when I <laughs> met other weirdos. I, I appreciated their, their weirdness. <laughs> My friend Tony Shea, he's um, the founder of Zappos, which is a multi-billion dollar company. He's a Vegas local like me. He says uh, that he prefers hanging out with weird people. I think that's another way of saying interesting people. <laughs> yeah, there's always something interesting to talk about when, when you hang out with people like you, right? Uh, doing the, the work that you do with RSG, you seem to travel a lot. How, how do you stay focused and stay in the zone like, to prevent? Well, a lot of our executives travel a lot. I mean... I don't feel like I travel anywhere near as much as our guys. Um, I mean, this month I will go to LA uh, multiple times. I'll go to New York. Um, I used to travel a lot more. I mean, I used to travel almost every day. Uh, so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of travel. So I mean, I, I feel like I'm able to stay focused. Um, a lot of the reason why I have remote teams is because I was remote. 
and as I settle down more and more, my team settle down more and more, I think humans adapt to their environment and the people they surround themselves with will mirror and match their lifestyle and who they are. That's why I think so many people volunteer and intern with us and get success. Many of the people that have interned with us now have their own multi-million dollar companies. Many of them are internet-based. Many people who have volunteered for instructors have become amazing with women. And um, I think that you really just model the good behaviors of those people that you surround yourself with. Okay. All right. So let's uh, ask you some more leisure-like questions. What are the top five books that have had the most impact on your life or your, your point of views? Well, you've heard me talk to some of your friends about some of them. So let me think about some of the books that I haven't mentioned. One of them is Traction which is a book about creating an entrepreneurial system. And I liked it because it talked about metrics and numbers and suspenses and goals. And it kind of talked about the how to do as opposed to so many autobiographies. I mean, I've read inspiring autobiographies like Losing My Virginity by Richard Branson. And that was super inspiring to me. You read it too, yeah. So, I mean, I read a lot of those. I read the autobiography of DuPont and William Randolph Hearst. And it's cool, it's just that it doesn't talk about the how to. And as a how-to kind of guy, that's kind of my thing. Now, most of the reading I do nowadays is actually things that I find fascinating that other people find scary or boring. Like a book that I read recently was a thousand plus pages called The Media, The Constitution, The Fifth Estate about the constitutional law. Now, most people don't find it interesting. I do because I think that uh, a lot of the legal battles I fought, I've spent you know, six figures in constitutional legal battles about, uh, you know, what can and cannot be said in the press about our brand. You know, a lot of things are done behind the scenes that you don't see. Uh, and so I have to uh, read a lot of business books, legal books, uh, books about marketing, internet marketing. One of them, uh, Insider Secrets in Internet Marketing, by Corey Weaver, one of my mentors, kind of like my internet marketing Bible. But I like also fictional stories that are inspiring. One of them was called uh, The Power of One about a kid in South Africa who uh, was a boxer and uh, he just believed in himself against all odds. Uh, he was a victim of bullying and survived and uh, became a leader uh, of, um, as an adult, uh, an amazing guy who helped uh, uh, fight against apartheid. Um, I read the autobiography of uh, Nelson Mandela that was inspiring also because I read that while I was in South Africa and I was hanging out with Nelson Mandela's friends. Uh, and the guy who ended our apartheid, uh, President J.W. de Quirk, former president of South Africa, I got to have dinner with him. Uh, me and Tyler had dinner with him. That must have been a really good experience. Yeah, I got to interview him too. <laughs> yeah, well, usually people, people say, oh, I, I don't have anything interesting to read. And sometimes you're forced to look into certain types of books because of the situations that you're in in, in life, right? Uh, the book that that was a, a thousand pages and it talked about law and the stuff that you can or cannot say in the press. You, you also mentioned in a video about the importance of state control. When, when the whole scandal with Julian happened, how did you stay focused and calm? Well, I was very, 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 very angry. And um, it happened while I was on vacation with my wife in Asia. Um, well, the, the, the main part is, I, I would say, 
it started with the release of a video while I was in uh, the Caribbean. But when I was in Asia, our bank accounts got frozen because they thought we were a global terrorist organization teaching thousands of people how to rape men, <laughs> I mean rape women, uh, in hotel rooms um, who pay thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of men at a time. Uh, and it, it obviously sounds fictitious because it was. This organization does not exist. Um, but I guess uh, the media thought it'd be really cool to expose this organization to get clicks. <laughs> um, now, I was super upset. I lost faith in, faith in society because I was like, if the world actually believes this, this world has some problems. So I picked up golf as a stress release tool. You know, a lot of people meditate. I was playing golf every day, seven days a week, 18 holes, four to six hours a day. And uh, I kind of got disengaged with the core business and focused on other things. When I was focusing on was getting our finances, obviously, so we could survive. But before that, I was focusing on our marketing, our growth strategies, teaching live programs personally, like free tours, hot seats. And I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. Stop traveling. It definitely changed me a lot. And it made me realize that I needed to also interact with the world on an institutional level. I had no idea that governments would ever be people I need to interact with. You know, when I was in Singapore, I got detained by the Singapore government in a central detention facility with my wife, forced to watch reruns of Harry Potter until I could get out of the country and go to Moscow, and then eventually back to America and get my passport back. All because I was the manager of the notorious Julian Block, Time Magazine's most hated man in the world. And, um, you know, I now look back on it as a great opportunity Never thought I'd ever do that. But now it's a great opportunity to turn it into a movie, a TV show, a musical. And as, as a documentary, many cool things came from it. It also turned into a situation where our email list grew 16 times larger. Our YouTube channels multiplied inside and our revenue came four times higher. So I guess I could thank the world for hating us because we are an organization that delivers such awesome content that people will hate us no matter what for but then fall in love with us because they'll watch our content just to see if they could find things to hate us for. So I think that that's what's been awesome. Being able to convert people that are naive about what we represent, what we stand for, and transform them into paying clients that allow our movement to reach more people. Yeah, it was such massive exposure. I remember I didn't know too much about RSD during that time, and I saw Julian's picture come out on the news, and I was kind of surprised. I was like, huh. Okay, that's interesting. And I started watching more videos, and I was like, well, that's not true. Like, they're not teaching what they say, they're teaching on the news. Yeah, and I, I really appreciate, you know, I mean, you being from the city of LA. When the LA Times wrote a slanderous piece about us in the news, we had three to 4,000 comments fighting the journalists for not doing their research. We were born here. We, are LA people. So the L LA, the city of LA and journalists should have done their research and know who we are because we made a huge difference in the LA community. That actually got me a lot more involved in the communities in general. Now I'm in Vegas. I'm really deep in the Vegas community. The shooting happened and I raised money almost immediately for that. Thousands of dollars we raised for the RSD Las Vegas Relief Fund. I'm hanging out with 
the politicians that legislate, police officers, community officials, and uh, really active, involved with the business community leadership because I really care about our local community. Uh, because I now view communities, institutions, as really important for allowing us to do business in their city, for allowing us to partner in certain ways, to see how the pushback and what they could do if they don't allow things to happen. Um, it really gives me a lot more respect for the global people in general and how we affect the opinions and lives of not just RC Nation, but the whole world. And so having that as a new focus, that gave me a totally different perspective. Seeing as how the whole world is, uh, seeing as how everything is happening around the world, and seeing as how you've, you built your empire and seeing how quickly something could collapse, how do you see the stuff that's going on here in this country and then like, the disasters around the world? Well, when I look at uh, even things that have been sound like currency, and you see things like cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin being developed, um, I see that the world adapts fast. And you're right. You know, RSD could disappear tomorrow. The opportunities that we teach will live on in the lives and minds of people, but there could be a, a new institution. So we always have to continually evolve. And anyone who doesn't evolve fast enough disappears. And that will happen to anyone in power, whether it's a business, a government, anything, any object. I mean, you looked at the biggest companies when I was growing up. It was IBM. Now, most people had an IBM. Now, you probably don't have one. No, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Things like that happen fast. Yeah, when uh, when the whole thing with Julian happened, it seemed like that was the biggest blow that ever happened to RSD. Uh, in in your experience, have you had anything hit you so hard that it brought you down to rock bottom in in your personal life, and then you came back from that, it? That brought me down to rock bottom. All my assets were frozen. Yeah. Uh, my money, my reputation was slandered to the point where I got expelled from a country I visited on a regular basis. I mean, Singapore was a country that when I visited, I'd have three to 400 people show up at my free tour events. And every joke I told, people would go on the floor, laugh, cry, and bow. I loved going to that city. And now I'm excluded from that city for not even doing anything. To this day. To, to this day, wow. the best of my knowledge. I mean, huh. I'd like to fight that one day. Um, so things like that. Got me really appreciate justice. When the recession hit, I sold everything I owned, lived in the car. I had no ego. I was very humble. Um, I was relying on a volunteer network because we have to. Even today, we have to because it allows us to have the profits to grow the company. So we have a huge volunteer network. I mean, we had a site for RC volunteers to volunteer. We used to have now a site called RC Employment where people volunteer for internships, non paid internships. They get, they get value by learning skills. I mean, if you take the amount of money I make and the amount of money I put in people's training, it's, it's like going to get training every day. That could be worth a lot of money. So I do that. People who volunteer and work with Tower, they definitely will go through that self-actualization process. Like, learn a lot of things that they wouldn't have learned from a boot camp, too. So I mean, it's kind of cool. Um, I, you grow up fast when you hit those challenges and you survive. You brought up a good point. Uh, a, a lot, I see a lot of people 
who become millionaires, billionaires, and they all they say, oh, I, I didn't go to college, I didn't have to go to college. But I see that you continued your education, you went to multiple uh, universities. What, what about being in educational institutions inspired you to keep going with it, even though you didn't really need to? You know, I've been in college for the last 15 years, and I'll be in college for the next 15 years. I think that the continued education is something that has been so important that if you become an attorney, a stockbroker, or a teacher, you have to continually upgrade your education on seminars and events like that. That doesn't exist for entrepreneurs. So I decided that the formal educational system could be that substitute. And unlike most businessmen, I believe very firmly in liberal arts. So I'll go to college and I'll study the most random of topics, like international human rights. I'll study, you know, hotel management. I mean, when you are in an environment of learning, it's not the ideas that you're learning that will take you to the next level in your game and education. It's just being in an environment of learning and stimulating your mind to the point that you're thinking about ideas outside the box. They will allow you to take yourself to the next level. Almost the same as traveling to other countries and getting a different perspective in how people live life. You'll uh, get inspired. And the thing is, you might just hang out with very similar people. Uh, but I think that's by being in new environments you're not used to, it inspires things. I mean, that's why people go to the ocean. It's not like that looking at a bunch of water go up and down will relax you with hypnosis. <laughs> it's just that being in a new environment you're not used to being around it inspires the mind. Yeah. Let's say you had a time machine and you can visit your teenage self. What, what advice would you give to your younger self? Well, um, the first thing I would do is I would uh, have some time, hopefully, to uh, write down the winning lotto numbers <laughs> and which companies on which dates were going to do IPOs. If I was going to give advice to uh, my younger self, I would tell about the mistakes that I've made and learned from on a business level and a personal level and not to make those mistakes. Um, the challenge that you face though is that unless you experience most mistakes, you won't really believe it until you have those reference experiences. It gives me a lot of sympathy for people who make mistakes, oftentimes more so than it should. I think I'm an overly generous guy. Uh, but I care a lot about uh, what people go through because I put myself in other people's shoes with empathy. Hmm. Interesting. If, if there was only one piece of advice that you could give to anybody, no matter what field they would be in, whether it's uh, entertainment, uh, lifestyle coaching, or being a doctor, what would it be? When I'm, it reminds me of instantly of this uh, TV show Heroes, where the main bad guy in one of the sequels gets sent to a dimension. And in that dimension, it was a recreation of New York. It's just that New York had no people in it. And this guy had the power to speed up time. So this guy was stuck in this dimension and sped up and lived forever. And he sped up time thousands of years. And then he went and visited this guy. And they were mortal enemies. And he was just so happy to see him and wanted to hang out with him. And that just 
reminded me about something that I believe in, which is the relationships and the people in your life are so important for your physical, mental, and emotional well-being that developing a powerful network, a community, people that you trust, respect, that love you, care about you, that's probably the most important thing you can develop. And I think that's the reason why people will say that it's the people you are with on your deathbed that you'll remember, not the accomplishments that you did. Wow. Okay. All right, so for my final question, if, if you could have any conversation with anybody, anybody that inspired you in your personal life, a business life, whether living or dead, who would you want to be talking to? It would be my grandparents. I think it would be my family because they have insights that now that I'm much older, I mean, they died when I was much younger, there's things in my life that I'll be facing that I would be curious about how they face similar challenges. Now, I'm lucky because I told my parents I could have similar conversations with them. Just that when you're with your parents, you're so used to them telling you what you should and shouldn't do. Sometimes you don't want to ask for advice. My grandparents are a little bit more removed, and also because I lost them, I could appreciate their advice on a different level. I'd be really curious about things like parenthood or um, decisions they made about health or business. Things like that would be really cool to me. That'd be really special. Sounds like you had a really strong connection with your, your grandparents. I did. Yeah, they took care of me instead of babysitters. Oh, okay. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, I'd stay at my father's parents' house and I would sneak out the window and go to the strip club. <laughs> More importantly though, they, they taught me all sorts of cool things. They taught me how to play cards. <laughs> <laughs> no, they, my, my, my grandparents, um, they cared about me. They, they, they have family dinners uh, multiple times every week. Um, we had a great community. Um, there was always an amount of love and respect and reminders of how much they loved and cared about me. And it gave me a strong feeling of support. And uh, you know, they would always willingly and desperately want to share their life experiences. I think that's a really valuable thing. I think that's also why I appreciate us sharing so much of our life experiences and helping other people too. I know how, how important it is for everyone else. Okay. Uh, well, I, I forgot to add this in, in the interview, but personally, I'm a, a documented individual in this country. I'm not sure if you're familiar with DACA and the work permit for children that were brought here at, at an early age by their parents from a different country. From where? Uh, I was brought from Mexico at okay. age three, and I didn't get my work permit until about 23. Mm, so, wow. yeah. It's amazing. I, I grew up going to high school kind of with that thought in the back of my head of like, okay, when I graduate, I'm not necessarily going to be able to get a job legally in this country. And then the, the whole DACA program came, up, came about. And just a couple of weeks ago, it was rescinded by the current administration. Really? In DC. Uh, do you have anybody? employed in RSD through the, that program? That they have the work permit? I, I've never heard of the, the DACA program. Um, that's something that I've, I've never heard of. That's, that's an interesting program. I mean, we have people from countries all over the world that work for us. Um, and we use other kinds of work visa programs and travel programs and visa programs. Uh, I've never heard of DACA, but 
I'd definitely be interested in learning more about that from you. How do you, how do you spell DACA? Uh, D-A-C-A. D-A-C-A. It's a... Uh, so I could have my uh, cameraman, Chris, text me about that. I'll look into that myself. That's an interesting program. Yeah, yeah I'm always interested in, in those kind of things, you know, because I have friends from all over the world, um, including Mexico uh, or Latin America, throughout Latin America, that have similar issues. And um, I love how America brings in amazing talent, people who part want to contribute to this community. Um, from all over the world. I really appreciate a global environment that America has, multi-cultures. Yeah, uh, the, the way the media portrays everything, they, people are quick to make snap judgments about people who have different ideals, people who came here from different places. And it seems like people who have work permits or aren't here by the usual means get a bad rap. And I, I see a lot of people personally, that have work permits, uh, they're here with visas, and they want to cont contribute to the country. Uh, how do you see that? When I was at Hamilton, I remember um, one of the phrases was when Hamilton says, immigrants, we get the job done, and then the whole crowd just cheers, because New York is a melting pot. I personally come from California, and it's also a melting pot. And so I never understood racism. It wasn't until I went to boarding school and I was hanging out with people from the South that I didn't even think racism existed. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, um, to me, it's a weird concept to have people that dislike people from other cultures or what have you. It's just, it's a weird concept to me. Uh, I think it's uh, uh, something that people kind of inherit from their parents. I mean, people inherit their, their parents' uh, beliefs and uh, sometimes it's the wrong ones. <laughs> It happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, that's it for me. It was great talking to you, and thanks, thanks for the invitation to come and talk to you. Cool. Yeah, it was interesting questions, and interesting to get your perspectives through your questions, and uh, thanks. Cheers. I'm Nick Coe, and I want to share with you how my team and I built Real Social Dynamics into the world's largest dating coaching company while traveling to over 100 countries, and I got engaged my wife on my 100th country. I learned a ton from you and from the rest of the hundreds of thousands of clients from the 1,000 plus RSD Live programs taught every year, in addition to the millions who follow RSD online. So subscribe to my channel and let me help you make your dreams come true. I'd like to help you create the mindsets, relationships, and networks of amazing people to transform you into a true hustler. Let me share with you my personal global masterminding group of the best business superstars. On this channel, you will get access to my two core shows. First, I wanna share with you interviews with best-selling authors, millionaire and billionaire entrepreneurs, YouTube celebrities, and RSD's best talent, so you can go behind the scenes and learn from countless years of field experience to cut years off your learning curve. Second, I want to share with you my own intimate stories, field reports, and business intelligence so you can personally get to know me better and discover how you can craft an amazing life. So please subscribe to my channel and you'll get a ton of value from subscribing. Cheers.